0: Since 1994, marketing has undergone three transformations over the past 30 years. Now we're entering into a fourth transformation as we journey deeper into the age of AI that will unlock new exponential growth opportunities for financial brands through an emerging strategy known as collaborative growth. The question is, are you ready for collaborative growth? Is your marketing team ready for collaborative growth? What about your sales team? Well, let's find out together on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. Greetings and hello, I'm James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Peter Caputo to the show. Peter is the CEO of Databox, where their dashboards empower marketing and sales teams to track performance from everywhere. And today, Peter and I are going to dive into future growth opportunities for your financial brand that are rooted in collaborative growth. You're going to learn exactly what you need to do next to further align your marketing and sales teams through collaborative growth in this age of AI, where you're going to maximize your own future growth at your bank, credit union, or fintech welcome to the show Peter it is so good to share time with you today buddy thanks James Robert its good to
1: uh good to be here I'm excited to talk about uh some of the stuff we've been working on
0: absolutely general, yes talk and-
1: about marketing and banking and all that fun stuff
0: and before we get too far into like the, the something that I'm excited about that you've been writing about collaborative growth what is good in your world right now personally or professionally it's your pick to get started on a positive note uh
1: personally or professional but personally uh, my son's a sophomore um, just started his sophomore year, doing well in school. He's on the JV soccer team, which I love going to watch. Um, and he's, um, starting to mature as a young man. So I'm proud of him. That's probably my, the biggest highlight in my, in my life is just, uh, watching him grow up, continue to grow up and become a good, good person.
0: You know, that's so positive to hear my wife and I, we have four and our oldest is 13. So he's in eighth okay. grade now and to see him mature and become a leader um he actually was elected student class president nice and then he came home and he goes i think i'm gonna run for njhs the national junior honor society president so he got elected okay. for that um wow. and then he's running cross-country and sitting first chair cello and orchestra so when your yeah. kids are are starting to do these things as a father or as a mother as a parent you're yeah. like yeah. we did something right along the way
1: yeah. i picked a good wife yeah ex-
0: <laughs> that is so true there, there's there's a 100% truth because it does it takes it you know what that's a great transition it takes it's a collaboration to that's to right. to on that front but it also collaborative growth is a term That i've seen you writing a lot about on linkedin lately yeah what does that mean collaborative growth
1: um
0: i see a problem in the way most
1: sales and marketing organizations operate they operate from with the mindset and the perspective that they know more than everybody else Mm. um and and therefore as a result they just Start spraying their value props, spraying what they do, talking about trying to teach you how to do things, uh, and of course, there's an element of all of that. And often we're gonna like we're gonna both rant about things today <laughs> about that other other people should be doing. But true expertise comes from continuous learning yeah. from your customers, from your prospects, from other people in your industry, etc. And so, collaborative growth is is a process. Um, that we teach that help sales and marketing teams put structure to this process of learning and sharing what they learn as they go uh, in a way that kind of builds a community around them um, because they they are demonstrating that they're constantly trying to learn, trying to be a resource beyond just what they do and who what they sell.
0: That idea of building or facilitating a community is something that I've talked about before on this podcast, and it's timely because if you think about a community financial brand, a community bank, uh, a credit union, the idea of community has evolved beyond borders and zip codes and boundaries, cities, etc. So, this Idea of collaborative growth plays nicely into that perspective. Even in banking on digital growth, I wrote about how marketing and sales teams can unite to create the "quote unquote" the growth team. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Why collaborative growth? Why now? What What makes this the time to be thinking about this as a strategic uh, objective?
1: Well, I think businesses in general are facing a lot of headwinds um, for a variety of reasons. One relevant to banking, interest rates are sky high, right? There's no longer free money. We all can't just take money and use it to grow our business and then pay it back or not pay it back at the same amount, right? So we all have to worry about interest rates now. Um, And of course, inflation has increased costs of things. The labor market's wacky, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, So there's the economic things. There's geopolitical issues, I think. Uh, There's a lot of unrest around the world, which disrupts markets. Um, so I think all your banking people are are well aware of that stuff. I don't have to preach on that, but then, um, there's also, um, an interesting dynamic with digital marketing. I think for digital marketing for the first, say 20 years or so, um, it was pretty wide open. Um, I remember writing blog posts in the early two thousands and like then Googling the term, the term I optimized for the next day and I'd be number one. Uh, right. It's like, and that was, I could do that at will. Uh, it was crazy back then. And of course it's gotten more, comp- uh, more competitive over time, but I think we've reached a point where unless you have a lot of money or a lot of time, it's hard to break through, uh, in your marketing. I'm not just talking about be- ranking on Google with search engine optimization. I'm also talking about building a following on a social night, social site, uh, building a, a newsletter or an email list. like all of those things have just gotten harder and harder because all of those channels are more and more crowded. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I got hundred emails in my inbox. I got 30 Im- emails in my LinkedIn directs and I got 10 to 15 slacks from my internal team. And it's just completely overwhelming. Every channel is like that. And, and so as a result of that increased competition, um, I, I think, uh, spitting or spraying out your value prop and publishing content and promoting it like w- most people are just tuning that out or a lot of people are tuning that out and what people are what prospects and people in general are really thirsting for is actual true personal one-to-one interaction uh and 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 if you're going to do that you have to you can't just talk about what you do you can't just talk about how awesome you are you can't just talk about the problems you solve in an abstract way you actually need to talk to your prospects and customers you need to tell their stories you need to gather insights from say 50 companies or people that are similar and share some of those insights in in anonymous and aggregate way um you need to have a podcast right where you're interviewing other people to learn from them and to share their message out in the world and you need to really give before you're gonna get well uh,
0: that giving before you get that's something that joe polish has talked about life gives to the giver and takes from the taker and when you think about this idea of how marketing even digital marketing has transformed over the last 20 years you're right i remember the same thing back in the day you wrote a blog post you could rank super easily and now it's crowded it's competitive it's commoditized even and I think it's going to be even more so as we move further into this age of AI because you can go in and create quote-unquote commoditized content but that's that's not there's this human connection there's this human factor in, in banking on digital growth I wrote about you know how the majority of financial brands compete on the same great rates Amazing service, lookalike product features. Right. But the the that's narcissistic marketing. Um the, the the potential though is to help first, to sell second, to play the role of the helpful and empathetic guide. Right. That's where this idea of and, and this is going to be the subject of my third book, banking on expertise comes back into play because it's the expertise that is now the differentiator, particularly with the niche market segments, niche banking. is something that we've talked about here before we get too deep into opportunities i want to roll back on what could be a potential roadblock or an impediment that could slow down or derail the thinking around collaborative growth because there are a tremendous amount of opportunities but i'm always trying to get people to see the obstacles first so that they can be aware of them before they actually run into them head head first
1: yeah, yeah. I'm, as I told you before, I'm excited about your book, Banking on Expertise, because I think it's like it's it's very well aligned with my thinking on this. And uh, to answer your question about what holds people back from embracing collaborative growth, it's the fact that they they think of sales and marketing as this assembly line. We've we like over the last twenty years, this is what every expert has actually said is like, okay, you have your salespeople. Let's let's put a, a sales development rep in front of them who's booking calls for them, right? This happens more in SaaS, I think, than maybe in banking, but there's a lot of businesses, even beyond software companies that put somebody there. Their job is just to go out and email people and call people and book a call for the actual expert, who's maybe an expert, the salesperson to close, (laughs) right? And And then what we do is we put paid ads in front of that person and we're putting them through a landing page, right? To get the lead so that we can call them. And then we're doing social on top of that. And we hire a social media person to sit there and publish Links to our content and memes and sh- shit like that <laughs> that might go viral, right? Um, and so there's just this assembly line that we built. It it reeks of impersonalization. Yeah, it, it's it's it it doesn't allow your buyers to connect with a human who might have expertise, right? What it does is it treats them like a transaction and puts them through an assembly line. Nobody wants to go through that, so. Um, we need to stop treating our businesses like their buffets that we you know put people through they walk through and pick what they want or they go through you know a car wash and get different steps. we need to start thinking about it as a gourmet restaurant where we're actually, have a waiter that knows what they're talking about and a chef in the back that has a few stars.
0: Well, you're talking my language when you're talking starred restaurants um, and experiences. Uh, as I shared before we hit record, we actually, my wife and I, we just went to New Orleans and we ate some really good food down there. Yes. But but your, your thinking is is sound. When, when you look at people are looking for expertise from a human. I wanted to pause on that because- yeah. In Banking on Digital Growth, I wrote about DX plus HX equals growth, being, meaning a positive digital experience when combined with a positive human experience is a yeah. path towards growth, it's not one or the other. In fact, I was talking with someone the other day about Gen Z and I said, well, what about Gen Z? You know, is it is it 100% digital? They said, no. They said 80% digital, 20% human at the beginning of a financial buying journey But once Mm -hmm. that account, that loan has been funded, then it begins to flip. Now it's 80% human, 20% digital for all of the transactional stuff, but they still value the human expertise, the human perspective. Mm -hmm. Why? And I I guess because there's such a a loud discussion in the vertical right now within financial services about AI, and I'm like, well, don't over-index on that and forget the people. And I think that's what has happened through digital transformation in the vertical. People have we've, we've forgotten the that behind every data point is DNA. Mm-hmm. Why the human factor? In whenever we're thinking AI, what's the difference here?
1: So I, I am all for data and automation and analytics. As you know, our, our, <laughs> our software company provides is an analytics product. Uh, we use we have a team of data scientists building AI models. so totally on board with with automating and uh, and using AI to make your automation even smarter, right and serve customers in a more personalized way. Um, however, the more that we do that, right, the less flexibility usually is in our system. Mm. Um, you know I have a financial advisor um, and uh, he knows when I want to retire and he knows what my my income is. And he just walked me through like five different options the other day. And he, he allowed me to ask questions out of order, right? <laughs> but he also came in with that as an agenda and say, here's the things I recommend you do based on your personal interests and goals. Someday, maybe that'll be more automated, um, but those are pretty big decisions about my son's education, my wife's and I's retirement, our ability to help family when needed, like all of these things factor into it. And so I just don't, uh, I just don't think I would personally trust a a robot to that.
0: Well, Uh, you bring up a great point. These are big decisions. And I think there's a strong correlation between SaaS and financial services. And here's mm -hmm. why. Sometimes these are complex buying journeys on the SaaS. There's multiple people that have to buy internally. But while financial services, you might not have multiple buyers unless you're dealing in an SMB space, but on the retail side, on the consumer side, it's a very complex journey. Money is already inherently complex. Money has a high cognitive load, if you will. And so I I just wanted to make that connection between the buying cycles here and and when humanity can be interjected as an Obi-Wan Kenobi or a Mr. Miyagi to the Danielson or to the Luke Skywalker.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think in general, at any point that a human needs it, they should have a human that they can talk to that has trust and credibility and, and expertise, right? It's interesting I, that
0: you I say, want it, I want to hop in though on that for con- context here for the, for those watching and listening, whenever someone, can you repeat that actually to set this back up? Because what you said, I think was so, it's such a key point to, to pause on. But,
1: yeah, I think so. No matter where somebody is in the buying process or in the already bought process, right, of their customer, I think there should be the option at any point for them to say, I want to talk to and work with a human. Um, so technology might be enabling that service. It should be. Right. Like, but, but here's here's
0: the here's yeah. the context. If you're watching and listening, think about your bank or credit, your website, even your fintech website. Mm-hmm. The primary call to action is to apply or open an account. How easy is it though for someone to say, I need to talk to someone, where do they have to go typically? It's usually
1: three or four clicks deep.
0: Exactly. One of the things that we've done within our own methodology is right below the primary call to action, we put what's called a secondary CTA, which is request a callback. And around 30% of people to 40% of people that request a callback and go through that funnel, if you will, they end up actually going on to convert. So it's capturing kind of that consideration stage that for the majority of financial brands, when we diagnose and assess them, they don't have that button or that transitional call to action to connect with the human being.
1: Right. Yeah. i give you a good example. Um, I don't like to share my banking information, but I used to use Silicon Valley bank. Uh, And then one, well, you know i'm sure you know this here but then one day uh, i saw <laughs> the news that they were shutting down right. uh and i then therefore it didn't have access to any of our capital so i learned the lesson to spread our work our company's working capital out across banks and so i was in a mad dash a scramble with you know with the co-founder to figure out like what bank should we try to move money to if we can't even move money right um and we ended up settling on a digital first bank and an old, a very traditional large bank, and and keeping the money, but that traditional, that that digital first bank, is is our is where most of our business went, because I could open that account quickly, and I could get a hold of someone very quickly to solve the immediate question I had. I, it literally took like two months to get to the point where I could even deposit money into the other bank now. That bank, that second bank's not going anywhere. And so keeping money there and they have a, they have part of our business. But I think that illustrates the point that when somebody needs something, you need to be available to them. Make it as digital as you can because that will get them in and help them serve themselves as much as possible. But you gotta be available. You gotta answer the difficult questions. And that bank did, did an amazing job at that and they earned their business.
0: That's a fantastic real life example, particularly on the the SMB side of things of, of how important humanity comes back into play within this conversation. I wanna come back to collaborative growth here. Yeah. What's a practical example of, of what this could look like for a financial brand, bringing their marketing and sales teams together to co-create, to collaborate, to create value for prospects, even for customers, for members to deepen share of wallet. Maybe it is through local market research, either on the consumer side or the SMB side, maybe both. What's a practical way to think about this?
1: Um, So we have um, a bunch of methodologies that we've developed based on uh, different marketing tactics or marketing channels. Um, The key with collaborative growth though, is that it's really channel and tactic agnostic. The key is just the way you approach it. So if you're gonna write a blog post, don't sit down and write a blog post, go out and interview five experts on the subject or 50 customers on on the survey, 50 customers on the topic, and then write a blog post with data backed insights and insights from external experts that people know and trust, right? Um, If you're gonna put together a, a video for YouTube, go interview three people on a subject and splice together their thoughts in a cohesive manner, right? If you're going to run a survey, um, in order to, to publish a report, you know, obviously go and get um, a hundred, few hundred responses before you do that. And so it really doesn't matter what tactic you use. Um, wh- where I think most marketing teams miss out on uh, is, is doing that market research and using that to inform not just what content to produce, but also to inform the actual voice of the content and the perspective of the content. Uh, and so usually we advocate people gathering data from their market and publishing that as a way to do a few things engage people that you either have as clients or customers as well as engage prospects because if you're gonna ask them to complete your survey, that's a way to engage them way to show them that you actually are um, pursuing knowledge and pursuing insights that you can they can that, you, that they might be interesting to them and that you can share with them. Um, it's also a way to, engage them by producing that content, sharing it. A lot of times we'll actually quote some of the contributors. We'll ask them for quotes um, that we can include in the report. So instead of the report being about our perspective, it's the perspective, true perspective of the people that we're we're surveying. And so I usually recommend that. I think a lot of bigger companies do market research in order to like learn things, to make decisions. But this is a different way of doing market research for content marketing that allows people to learn things that are interesting to their audience and then feed that back to them. Um, And that process kind of creates expertise. If you think about it, right? Because you're in anyone with any amount of expertise, as long as they're curious and a little creative can come up with a questionnaire, run that survey. And all of a sudden, all those people that took that survey, look at that one person that put it together and say, Oh, this person has expertise in that subject. So it's a way of creating expertise.
0: It's interesting You're talking about just going out and having conversations with the marketplace. Yes. I often find that marketing teams have not done that before, or they don't do it. It's not systematized or operationalized. In fact, because I think of things on a 90 day cycle and banking on change, I'm writing around the 90 day growth methodology and if you made a commitment to focus on one area um maybe it's around a product line maybe it's around a particular market segment and going out and having these conversations running these surveys doing these interviews i think it's also doing something very interesting is coming back to this idea of narrative and and story um playing the role of the helpful guide you're inviting the market to become a part of the story. They're no longer a, um, yeah. a w- observing the the movie, they're in the movie
1: now. That's right, that's right.
0: And yeah, exactly. w- what are the mindsets that are needed for this? Because when I think about, particularly within financial services, when you recommend doing something quote unquote new and progressive, um, yeah. it's often yeah. met with, concern it's really yeah. just it's fear of the unknown but deeper than that it's more of a mindset perspective you and i, I think we're even you know talking the other day on linkedin about just we we both are naturally curious we both have growth mindsets i think it's just ingrained in our in our yeah, dna abundance,
1: abundance mentality right yep
0: but what are the uh, mindsets needed for collaborative growth
1: yeah I, I laughed when you said that this is new and would you say new and progressive different? progressive as if running surveys and creating content was new and progressive but i hear you i get that it's not part of the playbook for tr- more traditional businesses that have been around for a long time um yeah um so your your question though was was what like how- mindset
0: like what are the well, mindsets that are needed to 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 establish the behaviors and the habits
1: yeah well, i guess first you got to be a little bold maybe um and and say hey we're gonna do something a little different this quarter uh and we're gonna go talk to customers <laughs> <laughs> Woo, mind blown um right and that'll inform our marketing strategy instead of like hey we got this promotion for this new product that we randomly drew out of a hat right um, this quarter or the ceo said let's do mortgages now right yep. um so yeah so i think crazy go out and talk to customers you can still do it on mortgages if you want or home improvement loans or whatever you want but but uh, pick something and go talk to fifty customers or fifty prospects or fifty people in your market.
0: I was talking with Derek uh, Sutton about this over at AutoBooks, and he was actually, mm-hmm. you know, just go talk to ten people who opened an account in the last month and why they opened the account, where would they come from, what, what were right. they, what were they running away from, and what are they running towards? You know, wh- yep. why why you? So yep. not like you said, we not progressive. I mean, this is natural for a lot of other verticals, but it's just not one that I see specifically within FinServe right now.
1: Got you. Yeah. So to answer your question on the mindset, I think uh, go back to what I originally said in the very beginning of the podcast, you have to be open to the fact that you don't have all the answers and that you'll go learn something from someone if you talk to them. Mm. Um, and that will change. It may, may change your tweak your perspective 2%, but you're still going to learn something. You got to be open to it, right? You got to seek that knowledge. I think that's the first mindset. The the second mindset is that you kind of have to be willing to publish stories and share stories about your customers and about your prospects, not about your products, Mm. Uh, right? Because if you're just talking about your products all day, like you're not differentiating yourself, but if you talk about the stories of how you helped a customer or data about You know, home renovation trends in your area, um, like you're going to get people interested in that. It's going to be much more interesting. And it's still related to your products, of course. Um,
0: This could also expand into PR opportunities at a local market level. Yes. And then that would then perhaps yield to interviews, other podcasts. I mean, it's, it's almost like a flywheel, it seems like. Once you get this going, then it opens up new opportunities and new opportunities.
1: Yeah, so we're obviously doing this to market our own business. I literally booked seven podcasts last week. Now, some of them I had like pushed off uh, because I was just too overwhelmed to do them at the time. But like, yes, there's always those opportunities. And the other reason to do this is actually SEO. Mm. So what Google wants, if you go go read their guidelines, they will tell you that they want data-backed content, content that's backed by data, has data in it. They want real stories, original stories, not fabricated, not how-tos, and they want multiple perspectives from multiple people. If you read their guidelines, you will literally see that. I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you will literally see that that's in the guidelines. And so if you produce content like that, that has data that you gathered, original data, and it has quotes from other people, you are more likely to rank. The other reason to do it for SEO is that People actually link to that. They'll cite that data, C-I-T-E, cite that data because you're the original source of that insight, right? Um, We're in the middle of doing a survey. uh, I might get these numbers wrong, so don't quote me, um, on business outlooks. Um, And we've only gotten, I think, like 80-some people to respond so far. But one of the questions we asked them is, is your marketing budget bigger or smaller and by how much? And only... 34%, 34%, I think 34% had a, um, higher budget. The second question we asked is, are your goals more aggressive this year or higher or lower? 67% have more aggressive, higher targets, right? Bigger so goals, smaller budget operating either with a lower or the same budget. A lot of them are lower and 67% have a higher expectations, higher goals. And so Imagine how many people are going to cite that once we actually publish it. Right? We're going to have a few hundred people to respond to that. And I don't know if those numbers will hold up, but I guess they my guess is they will. And there'll be people citing that. It's really good data. I don't know of anyone else that's gathered that, those two stats together. No. Uh, and as a result of, we've done this 1,400 times, by the way, we've crowdsourced content and run surveys and written 1,400 articles as a result of doing this process for over the last six years. As a result of doing that, Um, our domain authority from an SEO perspective is much higher than our competitors because all that content attracts links because people cite our data. Um, they're constantly linking to their data, and that sends a single Google that our content is has more authority than our competitors' content.
0: Getting those third party party links,
1: and our product pages ranking well, right? And capturing leads as a as a result of that. So um, so doing this, where this kind of content will actually lead to better SEO results as
0: well. I want to pivot the conversation just a bit as we start to wrap up here, but it's in line with collaborative growth. And I have a hypothesis that leaders, lenders, advisors that are establishing, building, and leveraging their own personal brands have the potential to outperform, particularly within social media channels, that of the corporate brand. Um, that's another key theme or key thesis that'll be in banking on expertise. Yep. You've been doing this leading the way at, at Databox, particularly on, on LinkedIn. What's, why? Because, I mean, think about this. Like I can hear a CEO at a bank or credit, and you're like, I'm so busy, I don't have time for this, but you're CEO. Yeah,
1: I don't have time for it either, but I make time um, because I can generate leads for our product at will. If I needed 10 leads in an hour, I could go get them just by publishing and interacting with the people that interact with my content. Um, And I've built processes at this point in a team um, so that I don't have to write the first drafts of my content. Um, I don't have to connect with people on LinkedIn. I don't have to do all the follow-ups and I certainly don't have to jump on a call. I have somebody you know, that can handle different parts of that process or do handle that different parts of that process. So, uh, it was a matter of, uh, at first I did it all. Um, you know, trying to run a company and figure it all out because I felt like I had to figure out the processes and the systems and where to spend time and what to do. But now I have a team of people that are helping me and, um, I can spend an hour or two a day and generate hundreds of hundreds of qualified leads for our business. That's
0: that's something I wanna to pause on. You can spend an hour or two a day on LinkedIn. Yeah. Don't just think about ROI at this point, also think about return on time. Because you have yeah. a time multiplier here, particularly as you're building your brand, personal cool. brand on LinkedIn. The in its influence, it's I mean once again it's like, almost like what is old is new again. It was the uh, old Dell Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, that book. Yes, uh, it's the same yeah. same idea here. Yep. What, what would your recommendation be for a, a leader or a lender, even? And and there are a few lenders in the space, particularly on the S and B side, and then on the mortgage side, who are leveraging these platforms like LinkedIn and TikTok and Instagram, yep. but for someone who is like, uh, I don't know, convince me, convince me, Pete, to, to, to make this investment of time, if you will. Cause that's really all it is. And, and then you build the system, the process behind the scenes. And I think you said that so well is well, you had to experiment and play, but that's a spoken like a true entrepreneur. Like there are three levels to this that I learned from, uh, Dan Sullivan over at strategic coach, you make it up, then you need someone to make it real and then you need someone to make it repeat. So you made it up.
1: I like that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, make it, make what was it, make it up, make, make, it, up, it, re- make up. it real,
0: make it repeat.
1: I might, might borrow that. Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, convince someone to do this. Uh, they're like, they just have to open their eyes, go follow a bunch of people that are doing this. Follow me, follow you, go and follow people in their space, people outside their space. They will see that there are people on LinkedIn 10 years out of college Making a million dollars, getting hundreds of comments on their posts, selling sponsorships for their newsletter, landing consulting engagements where people are raising their hands saying "I want to talk to you," and that's con- just consulting. That's like we're almost a software product. We're generating hundreds of calls for my sales team as a result of me and a handful of my team members posting right regularly just on LinkedIn, um, and so. I think they just have to kind of open their eyes. But the logic for me, originally at least, was that um, ma- digital marketing has shifted from being, I think, website-centric mm. to social media-centric, other platforms, really. Yep. And you know, nobody goes and hangs out on your website. Lots of people go and hang out on LinkedIn. Lots of people check in on LinkedIn once a week, maybe once a month. But they're doing that way more than they're going to your website. Yep. And that's true of LinkedIn and TikTok. The amount of time we spend browsing, excuse me, uh, TikTok or Instagram, like, that's just ridiculous. Watching YouTube, searching Google, like, there's there's lots of places other than our website that people are going to. Yep. And the way I look at it is like, if you were around the clock like 25 years and somebody said to you, if you film a good ad, I'll play it for you as many times on the T on our on rotation and me on the TV as you, as you want, right? Cable channel came to you and said, yeah distribution's free, you just have to film a really good ad, you'd be crazy not to do that, right? And that's really what social is. It's like you literally, as long as you do something good and interesting and entertaining, et cetera, you get to post it. You get completely free distribution. Yeah. And so um, I think there's just too many, it's like too easy. So from a CEO's perspective, I think they're foolish if they're not training their lenders, their loan officers, whoever you mentioned to go and and do this stuff and encouraging them to do it, rewarding them to do it for doing it. And then I think if you're a lender or you're in that frontline role and you're not doing it, like you don't care about your career, frankly, like you're, you are not putting in the right of work to build your career. My cousin, one of the, the last few years, he started a realty business. He's one of the top realtors in Philadelphia. Now he was able to switch from one real estate office to another without losing a beat because his reputation, of course, and his social media presence is what allowed him to just do it, right? And it's not just him. He brought his team of five people over to this new real estate office because he he had his own following and, and could pull that off.
0: And in that right there, you've you got Jill Castilla, you've got Keith Costello over at Locality Bank, a digital bank out of, of Florida. I, I think it's a matter of being aware and then putting in the practice, putting in the reps and building the consistency, building the habit the hardest thing a lot of times is just to get started. But once you get started, then it just becomes part of the daily routine and it's not, it's not 1999 anymore. It's not 2009 early social media anymore. I think your point back to people are hanging out on your website. So hanging out on social media, that's where the awareness is happening. You're helping first though. You're, you're giving more than you're, you're going to receive Yep. But then, you know, you you look at the the long play with this. It's about placing micro deposits into the trust funds of people yeah. that sits between their ears. It's going to pay the dividends.
1: Following, your fo- for putting it in financial terms, your following is is an annuity, right? Yeah. You in it that compounds. It you're re-
0: it really yeah. does. Let's wrap up on a practical point here for someone to get started with what we've been talking about here today around collaborative growth. What would be yeah. one small, simple thing that they could do today yeah. to get some momentum moving forward?
1: Yeah. So this will be relevant. I think if you're for the CEO or the lender, or wherever you are in the, in the hierarchy or org structure, um, pick one of your best clients, um, this week and call them and say, Hey, can I interview you over Zoom, record it, and then take some pieces of that, what you share with me, and write a quick story for my LinkedIn profile. Uh, I will mention you, I will mention your business, we'll say positive things, of course, about you and your business and your experience of working with me, uh, and 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 then take and write 300 words on that and and publish that, and then ask them to just share it around with whoever, you know, some other people in their networking groups, uh, maybe their mom or their their <laughs> spouse, um, but whoever might be relevant and uh, and be proud of of hearing that story. Super and simple. Not only will you strengthen the and cement that relationship because you're going to have a nice positive interaction. But they're going to tell you tell their story. You're going to help them tell their story to their contacts. You're going to be telling your their story to your contacts, which helps them. Um, and uh, and and that'll help you get started. That's networking in the in the digital world. It's really simple. Do that once a week um and uh call me in four weeks if that doesn't help you land at least a handful of good conversations with potential clients
0: i think that's it It's, it's it leads to the conversations it leads to the connection and it all comes back to people and humanity at this point pete thanks for being a good human being this has been a great conversation today what's the best way for someone to reach out connect with you and the work that you're doing over at databox to say hello um, yeah.
1: So uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Peter Caputa on LinkedIn. Pretty, I think I'm the only, there's one other guy in Germany, but you won't mistake him for me because my profile is a lot more active. Um, so pretty unique name. Uh, check out DataBox. We also have a free product, which um, you've been using called benchmarks, benchmarks It's available at benchmarks.databox.com in partnership with you. We've actually built a digital marketing benchmark for, uh, for digital banks and credit unions. So, if you want to see how your Google Analytics, your Search Console performance compares to, I think at this point, around thirty other digital banks, anonymously, of course, mm-hmm. um, contact James Ryan. We'll put you in the right direction. I'm going
0: to level that up. I, I think that's a practical opportunity for a community financial brand to do a local market study with small to mid-sized businesses in their markets. That's it. I think that's that's the that's cool. the that's the level up right there that yes. we can all take going forward. Pete, thanks for joining me for another conversation. This is a lot, a lot of fun all today, right. buddy.
1: You too, James. Robert. Great, as always.
0: As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and be the light.